0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga, Birth, Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm the host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're talking about one of my all time favorite hobbies sleep. And the importance of sleep. So, we're gonna talk about ways to build healthy sleep habits from birth. And my guest is Sarah Skiles. She is a certified pediatric sleep consultant, certified doula, advanced newborn care specialist, and mom of two amazing boys. And Sarah's personal experience with spiraling health and postpartum mood disorders due to sleep deprivation is her driving force behind the passionate way she serves, supports, and guides new parents. And this is really a hot topic, the whole idea of sleep. It was actually something that was talked about just yesterday in our postnatal class, postnatal yoga class, when one of the moms was talking about how incredible. Incredibly exhausted and burnt out she is by helping her four-month-old sleep and that the baby would wake up and she was the only one that was able to help that baby fall asleep. And that led to a whole conversation in the class that we had to eventually rein in to actually do some yoga, but it is such an important topic for so many new parents. So when Sarah reached out to be on Yoga Birth Babies, I immediately jumped at the idea of bringing a sleep specialist on. So I think if you you are preparing for a newborn or you have a child with sleep issues, or you just want to set really healthy sleep habits from the beginning, I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Now, before we get to my conversation with Sarah, I just want to say, first of all, say thank you for being part of our community and listening. And for those that have left a rating and review, thank you because it helps people find their way to the podcast and to our classes. And then just an update for what's happening at the studio. So we have maintained, and I'm so proud of this, online classes seven days a week and live in-studio classes six days a week. So we've got morning and evening live prenatal classes. You can come in studio. We've got hybrid classes. We have re-release classes. We have so many opportunities for us to all practice together, prenatal, postnatal. And of course we got of our our online workshops, and our in-studio workshops. So so much To support you on this path into and through pregnancy and parenthood. Now, I also know we have some listeners that are yoga teachers and you're interested in deepening your knowledge of how to support the perinatal community. Well, I've got you covered because we've got four times a year. We have our 85 hour, I'll be honest, more than 85 hour prenatal yoga teacher training. We do it twice a year online and twice a year in studio in New York City. And then coming up in May, we have our online postnatal teacher training. We only do that once a year because after five trainings, I am burnt out, but it's something I'm so passionate about and I get so excited to help people bring this work to their community. So if that interests you, you can check everything out. On our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And of course, we've got free downloadables. I can continue to add to our free online yoga classes. So check all that out while you're there. And as I always mention, or not sure if I've mentioned it enough, but I'm going to mention it again if there is a topic that I haven't covered recently that you want me to talk about, let me know. You can always reach me at Deb at prenatalyogacenter.com and let me know what I should speak about. And I will find an expert to come on and talk about that topic. Or if you are someone that wants to be on the podcast, you can always fill out an application on our website and we'll see if we're a good match. I love doing these conversations. So it's really a joy for me as well. So I think that's it. So let's take a super quick break and when we come back. Let's talk healthy sleep habits. Hi Sarah, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Yourself? I'm doing great, and I am so excited to talk about sleep habits for babies because yesterday in postnatal class, that was something that came up. One of the students, her baby is four months old, and she was saying that all she does, she's the only one that her baby will let her hold him. And she's up all night and her body is a mess and her mind is a wreck. And I said, ah, I'm doing a podcast about sleep habits. So I'm so excited. So we can, I'll tell her, I'll give her a little uh, heads up about what we talk about, but this is such an important conversation. So thank you for bringing your knowledge to the podcast today.
2: Absolutely. I am super excited to give lots of education and lots of tips today. So let's start with,
1: I'd love to learn a little bit about you and what led you down the path as a sleep consultant and a newborn care specialist.
2: So I actually started as a labor doula um, over 10 years ago. Um, I got started with that after my oldest son was born and he's 11 now. And I had this great experience With giving birth and pregnancy and having so much support during those two things, and then postpartum was not so much. Um, The level of support kind of drops off after that, where you give birth, and it's like, here's your child, best of luck to you. (laughs) And sleep was definitely not something that was happening in our house. So it took me about 14 months with my second to actually go through the sleep training process. And once we did, he slept through the night on night two. And ever since then, he's been a great sleeper. He's eight years old now, but I always knew from the beginning that the birth was just a drop in the bucket when it comes to the level of support that new parents need. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too long before I began to, undergo trainings and certifications for postpartum care. Um, I'm an advanced newborn care specialist and now a certified pediatric sleep consultant. So really anything from the pregnancy through the delivery, through postpartum and taking care of the baby while healing from giving birth, and then even children all the way up to age seven now, um, I can help with um, sleeping challenges from Nap strikes to frequent night wakings, um, night terrors, toddlers, making, uh, middle of the night visits to the master bedroom, um, uh, 200 times a night and <laughs> everything in between. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that I've had a lot of friends that say their kids even at my my kids are on the same age as your kids. So kind of that generation like my kids are still coming into the bed. So I think what you offer is so so important. So let's start with setting expectations of what sleep looks like for a newborn because I remember when I had my son who's also 11 and my friends would be like, "He slept through the night." I'm like, "Really? What does that mean?" Cuz mine did not. So how long should parents expect an average newborn to actually sleep at night?
2: Yes. So we all have that one friend who's like, my baby slept through the night ever since birth. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the reality is for most of us, that's not going to happen. Um, so it's more about setting positive and realistic expectations of what is, what is the baby capable of? And then how can we make sure that our needs are getting met as well?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So in the newborn stage, the actual definition of sleeping through the night is only five hours. So even, you know, when we consider sleeping through the night, we, we might think of like, you know, 10 to 12 hours, and that might be realistic for an older child, but it's not realistic for a brand new baby. So even with that five hours, um, we don't even look for that until we have the pediatrician's approval and the baby is um, surpassing their birth weight. Um, because other than that, we would even have to wake them up, you know, every few hours at night to um, make sure that their their little tiny itty bitty tummies are are getting filled on a regular basis so that they can gain weight and be healthy and all of those things. So, what we're looking for when it comes to newborn sleep. And when I say newborn, I, I generally am talking about up to um, about eight weeks old. Um, we're looking for more of a routine than a schedule because while an older baby and a toddler would really thrive on a schedule, you can tell your newborn it's 11 p.m. and they're going to be like, I don't care. I don't, what's, what's, <laughs> what's 11 p.m.? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what we're really looking for in that newborn stage is to just kind of start setting up some repetition and some habits. So... You know, we, we eat, we get that little tiny tummy, nice and full. Then we burp, then we change diaper and then we lovingly stare into each other's eyes for a few minutes and then swaddle up and then nap. And then once we get to about that two hour mark, we repeat that all over again. So it's really more about setting up some repetition for the baby where they start to realize the patterns in their days. Like, oh, first we do this and first we do this and then business happens Um, So it's really about setting up these routines rather than saying, okay, at 9 p.m. you do this because we all know that cluster feeding is a thing and the witching hour is a thing and um, we need to kind of get the whole family's needs met and not try to, um, you know, put a newborn into something that they're not developmentally ready for yet. So I'm going
1: a little off topic cuz you just kind of made me think of this and you are a newborn specialist so I'm going to dip into that that pocket of your knowledge for a moment. So yeah. if we're saying like the first 8ish weeks it's about setting up routine. How do you suggest that the person actually doing the feeding especially if they're exclusively breastfeeding gets support because if they're up every 2 to 3 hours. Cause I, I remember this and it's been years. It was exhausting doing exactly what you said. Like I would go to bed and I would have the diaper in the other room already and do exactly what you said feed, change, burp, uh, burp change, swaddle, bounce on the ball, to try to get the baby to sleep and then do it again a little bit later. So, and it's exhausting. So, if that is the routine for the first 8 weeks, how do how does one survive that?
2: That's a great question. So, making sure that the parents' needs get met, I mean, that's a non-negotiable. So, you're right. It's like how do we do that when the baby does need attention, you know, every couple hours, um almost constantly during the day and then, you know, at least every couple hours during the night. So, um obviously the gold standard of parent care would be to have, you know, overnight help. Um but for many families that's uh, not a viable solution, whether it's financially or for some other reason it's not a viable solution. Um and not everybody has family in town that are able to come in and help. So um you know they say things like sleep when the baby sleeps, but then they're like, well, are you also going to do laundry when the baby does laundry? So <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's not always the most helpful advice either. So um, especially in partnered households, um, the most realistic thing is to make sure that the adults are taking four-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. So a lot of parents, especially um, when it comes to breastfeeding mothers, they tend to take on the bulk of that responsibility of feeding and think, well, nobody else can do this. I'm the only person who can assume this responsibility of feeding, um, and there are different options. You know, somebody can bring baby to nurse. Um, you know, pumping a bottle could be an option, um, but allowing another caregiver to be able to assume that responsibility. So a four-hour shift, um, those can be traded off. You know, in a in a partnered household, it's like okay, one of you is probably a morning person and one of you is probably a night owl. Mm. Figure out which one of you. You are, and that's the shift that you're going to take so the other person um, can have a protected four-hour stretch of sleep per 24 hours. Um, As a doula, newborn care specialist, um, that is one of the most important pieces of advice that I give is to protect that four-hour stretch each day, no matter what time of day that happens, because otherwise your mental health is going to go down the drain.
1: Yeah, that is such great advice. So the first eight weeks, it's setting up routine. So when might we expect a baby to start to get little bits of longer chunks, possibly up to that five hours?
2: It definitely depends on the baby of how well they're eating, um, what their weight gain is like. Um, babies who have issues such as torticollis, um, tongue ties, lip ties, things like that, um, they do tend to have a little bit more trouble when it comes to sleeping and sleeping longer stretches at night. So it does depend on the baby. Um, A baby with no issues of any kind like that, that's gaining weight really well, um, taking really good full feedings at the breast or really good um, feedings at the bottle. um, Typically by six to eight weeks, we can see that they are trending more toward these, four to six hour stretches at night when positive sleep habits are being formed. Mm. Um, with babies that do struggle a little bit more with feeding and intake and things like that, um, it can be um, in more in the three to four month age range before they start doing stretches of four to six hours per night.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to start talking about sleep training because this came up yesterday when I was talking in postnatal class and it became such a conversation that, and I know it's controversial because I think some people think it's just like, shut the door and peace out. Um, <laughs> like, good luck, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I, I was fortunate to work with somebody that was really systematic about it. She talked about, listen for the quality of the cry. And if it's what she called a red alert cry, you go in and go from less to more. And if it's like a... Yellow alert! Cry. Then you wait for like thirty seconds to a minute and build up. And I think with the most my son ever really cried without us attending was maybe a minute to two. And one of the women in class, like, I really thought it was just you just let them cry. So, can you talk a little bit about what sleep training is, and maybe do a little myth busting as you're explaining it?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, this is this is such a great topic because it's something that I come up against all the time. You know, I say, Oh, I'm, I'm a sleep consultant. I help babies get more sleep. And the first thing that they say is, Oh, I could never let my baby cry it out. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to. (laughs) Um, obviously if somebody wanted to just put the baby in the crib and say, good luck, um, see you in the morning, you know, they could do that without, you know, hiring a sleep consultant to help guide them through this process. So, um, yeah, kind of like you said, with the person that you worked with, kind of coming up with a more individual plan for that baby, where it's like, we're going to physically and emotionally support the baby through this process. Um, at no time are we ever um, leaving a baby alone to cry for hours or um, forcing them to go without a meal or anything like that. I've worked with plenty of babies where it's like they physically, like, or medically need to have a certain number of feedings in the middle of the night. So that baby's going to get woken up and they're going to have that feed. And then they're going to go back to sleep until it's time for the next feed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sleep training is simply teaching the baby the skill of being able to fall asleep without having to be put to sleep or have the caregiver make them to go to sleep. That's really all it is. Um, There are many, many different ways to go about that. And there are many more respectful and positive and supportive ways to do that than just um, putting the baby in the crib and shutting the door. So there are, there's kind of a scale of parental involvement. So I like to get a feel for what the family uh, feels comfortable and and confident with. Like maybe we, maybe we give the baby a few minutes to try to settle down. And then if not, we can go in there and, you know, physically and emotionally support them through the process. Or maybe if it's a, a four year old who's having Uh, bad dreams. Maybe we're actually sitting in the room with them, helping to build their confidence and building their skills. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's, it's very individual to the child and it's very respectful, takes it into account their whole, their whole lives, their feeding, their routines, their habits, their personality, what's going to work for them. So yeah, it's very individual.
1: When do you recommend if someone is considering sleep training at what age do you think that might want to start?
2: You know, there's really no too late as far as sleep training, and there's not necessarily a too early either. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to get a baby to unnaturally go through the night when they're in that newborn stage, like we mentioned, but we can definitely do things like introducing swaddles and, um, white noise and routines and habits and things like that. But I would say the most common age that I work with families, um, would be the six month age range because they realize at this point, like, oh, they're not a newborn anymore. And they haven't, they haven't grown out of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, again, at the nine month age range, like, oh, well, they still haven't grown out of it. And then, you know, on into the two, three, four year age range. So there's, there's never too early to begin introducing healthy sleep habits. And it's never too late to actually come up with a sleep training method.
1: So what about when I've heard people say like, oh, we have that four month regression. What is that typically about?
2: Yeah. So sleep regressions are really more of a developmental leap. So you may have heard of things like the wonder weeks where it talks about their leaps in development and, you know, they're basically going through a growth spurt. So what happens at that four month age range is that they're kind of making this shift this transition from being in that like cuddly lumpy little newborn <laughs> in a swaddle into an active alert baby who's rolling over looking around taking in the whole world they don't want to miss anything and so when they go through that growth spurt they're they're going to be up and down a little bit more they're going to be less receptive to just wrapping them up and laying them down in the crib and they they sleep for hours. That's usually the time when they stop taking those two hour long naps and they start taking 20 to 30 minute long naps. And the parents are saying, Hey, we're, we're taking a step backwards here. So that's why you hear it referred to as a regression, but really it's just a leap in development. It's just a growth spurt. And when the baby has good sleep habits and knows how to independently fall asleep, um, those growth spurts typically are just a little blip on the radar.
1: And that's when they might be starting to bust out of their swaddle a little more?
2: Yes, definitely. So the baby needs to be able to roll over, and then um, swaddling is considered to no longer be safe.
1: Yeah, I remember swaddling. My husband's was like, can we use duct tape? I'm like, no, we cannot. Right. <laughs> always, we'd get like the little burrito and then boop, an arm comes out and then poop the other arm comes out and then oh, soon yeah, thereafter the
2: he... guy's like yeah. and <laughs> soon thereafter
1: he figured out how to roll over, I'm like, well, those days are gone.
2: So...
1: Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back what are some ways to start to build healthy sleep habits? Alright, we'll take a break, we'll be right back.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty,
1: Okay, so let, we understand you know the realistic expectation of sleep and you know <laughs> a six week old is probably not getting those five hour stretches and understand a little bit about sleep regression and it's just really uh, milestones and developmental um, things that we're looking for. So what are some ways to build healthy sleep habits?
2: So depending on the age, I really like to introduce a developmentally appropriate schedule. So for example, for a six or seven month old, we might be looking at transitioning into a two nap schedule. That's the the most easy one where it's basically wake at seven, nap at nine, nap at two, begin your bedtime routine at 6.30 and have them asleep in the crib at seven. So Schedules are made based off of the age of the baby in relation to how many hours of sleep are needed per 24 hours. So a brand new little tiny baby is going to need, you know, 18 hours Mm. out of every 24 hours. Um, A six-month-old is going to need more like 14 hours out of every 24 hours. And then once they're two years old, that's only going to be 12 hours. So that's how we build the schedule and the number of naps. Um, But the main thing is helping the baby to be comfortable being laid down in their bassinet or their crib to where you can swaddle them if it's age appropriate. Um, If not, I recommend sleep sacks. You do their little routine. So it's the same thing every single time. The auditory cue, that could be a special song, um, a little lullaby or a phrase like, you know, it's night night time. I love you so much, um, and then they go down into the crib. So they're building that repetition where every single day it's never a surprise that what comes next is they go in a, down into the crib and they go to sleep. So it's about schedules, routines, and habits.
1: You are totally speaking my language. I love schedules. I love routines. I love habits. <laughs>
2: And (laughs) the funny thing is
1: we did this with my kids since they were little and they still, it's definitely changed, but we still have a a nighttime routine that screens go off. Cause you know, they're, well, my daughter just turned nine. So nine and 11 screens go off at seven thirty. they shower, they read. We kiss them goodnight. Like, it's kind of the same since they were, since they were little. And on certain nights, like if we're, yeah, and if, and in certain nights, like maybe we're out really late or like, I remember sometimes we'd fly home from vacation. My daughter's like, so, it's like midnight. She's like, am I still taking a shower? I'm like, no, no, you're going to bed. But it's (laughs) like she, they, they relate bedtime to taking a shower or sometimes a bath and putting their jams on and, and reading or, or sometimes we'll play a game cards and going to bed. So it's interesting that that has stuck and that's what they find comforting.
2: Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They find so much security in that, that knowing that you're going to help them hold that boundary. There's so much security and confidence in that for a child, even at a young age.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about a little fluidity, like how much, so again, being a little type A, my first child had a very routine. I can say maybe a little rigid nap schedule that we knew what time he would go down. And it used to drive my mom crazy when she would visit. She's like, can't we just skip it? I'm like, no, we cannot. So we had a pretty rigid nap schedule. But then when baby two came along, her schedule couldn't be as... Richard, because my older one had things he had to do, like get picked up from preschool or, or something. So talk about how much fluidity do you recommend in a baby's schedule and can naps vary or should they be kept as regular as possible? And I guess the, a third question is where can naps take place? Because I was always told the crib is best, but sometimes I used to have to just wear my daughter and have her nap
2: on me. Right. Okay. I'll talk about the schedule first. Don't okay. let me forget about that question. Okay. <laughs> um, I love the question though, because I really feel for people who like need their day to be scheduled and then having a baby kind of, you know, up in that a little bit. And I feel for people who, you know, kind of want to rebel against the schedule a little <laughs> bit. I have ADHD. A schedule to me is something that's um, more of a guideline. <laughs> Um so my recommendation is always for the morning wake up time and the first nap of the day to be fixed. Those need to occur at the same time. So even if your your kid is sleeping a little late and it's kind of a pain for you to get up because you think, "Oh, I can get so much done. I can drink my cup of coffee." You got to get them up at the same time every single day and then lay them down for the morning nap at the same time because that actually kind of trains the body to release the hormones like sleep hormones and alertness hormones, like at the same time each day. So you have less fussing and fighting at nap time because they're, you know, they have FOMO, they don't want to lay down, but they're going to get drowsy at the same time. After that, if you know, you have a doctor's appointment or something, or you go over to a relative's house um, the rest of your day. And then, subsequently the night are not going to be thrown off as much if you can keep those first two morning things really consistent.
1: That makes sense. Okay. So then let's go to the question of where do the naps have to take place? Should they, maybe I shouldn't put the should, is it okay or is it recommended they have naps in the same place? Or what are your thoughts about stroller naps or, or
2: baby wearing naps? Yeah, so this is again something that kind of depends on the child. So some kids, some kids come out of the womb like with that kind of type A personality, where they're like, "I like it to be like this. This is the only way that I want it, and I'm going to cry if it's not like that." <laughs> so, and some kids are more go with the flow. Um, we can definitely encourage a go with the flow child. And from birth, um, I love to have a newborn doing a whole mix of things. I would love for them to take maybe their morning nap independently in the bassinet and then maybe they have their mid-morning nap in the stroller on a walk and then uh, maybe they have their next nap in the bassinet again and then maybe the evening nap is, you know, cuddled up on their parents' chest. Um, When they get a little bit older, say the, you know, four to six-month age range, that's when we would want to have a little more consistency with where they're sleeping. But if they have a solid routine in place, you know, you can do the routine anywhere. It can be if you're traveling, if you're at grandma's, um, you know, you can sing them the same lullaby, dress them in the same sleep sack, turn on the same sound machine, give them the same binky, and they'll be fine. All right. So I'm um...
1: Going again, a little off the cuff. So one of my students, who's also one of my friends, she, this is maybe six, seven years ago, she got something, and I'm sure listeners know this, the snoo. And her son was very well, was sleeping very well, but then when she was traveling, her mom. I think bought one, I don't think they were renting them back then, bought one for her house when she traveled down South to see her and she was stressed out. She's like, he only knows how to sleep in that. What are your thoughts? Are we training babies to then, if they use a device or something like that, that they're then not going to have the ability to sleep
2: without that device? The snoo is kind of a controversial thing for that. Oh, did I open the can reason. of worms? <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> as a newborn care specialist, in the past, sometimes I've thought, "Oh, that's replacing me. That's replacing my job." <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, we have to consider the parents' uh, mental health and being able to get a little bit more of a stretch of sleep. And if the snoo does accomplish that. And everybody is sleeping better because of that. I honestly don't have a problem with that. And I have had many clients come to me, you know, when the baby gets four months old or so, they're outgrowing the snoo. And they're like, "Uh oh, no, (laughs) we got to put them in their own crib now. And they don't have that motion. What are we going to do? Well, I can tell you, I have never had even the slightest problem teaching a baby to transition into the crib and uh, with very few tears. to oh, boot. that's good. So I think if, if parents want to use that for those first couple of months when it's like survival mode, and then kind of, you know, do some sleep training when it comes time to go to the crib. I just don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's something that each family needs to evaluate if it's what they want to do, and then just make that choice on their own.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. If someone, if we can get, protect the sleep of the parent, I am all for that. Totally makes sense. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the older child. So, how would you organize a sleep routine differently for an older child um, if they've never had consistent sleep before?
2: Well, it's really never too late to introduce those habits, to introduce that consistency and say, okay, you know, a little eight month old, I know you've, you know, been doing your own thing up until now. But now uh we're gonna ask you to sleep in the crib and we're gonna ask you to take, you know, a morning nap and an afternoon nap. Um usually they do pretty well. They're very adaptable at that age. Um, you know, I've I've worked with families where they had a three or four year old that had slept in their bed their whole life and then we were able to very quickly and easily, um, no fuss, um, teach them the confidence and the skills to be able to be in their own bed. So Really, is just about kind of coming up with what method you're going to use for the child, coming up with the age-appropriate uh, routine and schedule, and then just supporting the child as they transition through that. So it's it's not as scary or as big of a deal as some people may think. So I'm curious,
1: do you have any specific tips for that three or four year old? Because they can, it's different than a, a baby where they're in a crib. A three or four-year-old can just scoot out of their bed and end up back in the parent's bed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually an age that I tend to specialize in because once they're that age, it's like the parent has now tried everything under the sun and they realize that it's not getting any better and they might need some extra help. So um, a lot of times playing around with the bedtime Is a big deal. Are they getting too much sleep during the day? You know, we look at scheduling and things like that, but ultimately it tends to come down to behavior and what's being allowed. So I really like to take an approach where we have a family meeting and, you know, this child that's three or four is old enough to understand, you know, what the parents are talking about and saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. And if you get out of the bed, this is how we're going to handle it. And then you have to follow through with that. Every single time. The child is gonna get bored eventually, but here's the thing, you're gonna get bored first. (laughs) So (laughs) you you have to outlast the child in your boredom until they see that, oh, my parents are not just gonna back down and let me come and jump on their bed at one o'clock in the in the morning. And so it's just that consistency and upholding those boundaries and saying, Hey, tonight you need to stay in your own bed. If you need to go to the potty, you can call for me and I will come to your room. I will help you, but you need to stay in the bed. If you get out of the bed, I am going to come and walk you back to the bed and put you back in the bed. Now, you might have to do that a hundred times, but the child is going to get bored of getting that exact same response every single time. And after a few nights, you're going to stop having all of those wanting a.m. visits.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I will say that sounds so hard for, for the parent. I feel for the parent that just wants to sleep and they're constantly walking their child back. Oh, all right. So what about the situation where this has happened to one of my friends? She says that she, Will tuck her daughter in, get in bed with her around seven, fall asleep herself, wake up around eight thirty or nine after a nap, <laughs> and then she has a hard time falling asleep. So, should parents not try to cuddle with their child as they're falling
2: asleep? I think the cuddling should take place during the bedtime routine. So, Anything like nursing, bottle feeding, rocking, cuddling, um, all of that can be incorporated into the bedtime routine. And extra time can be allowed in that bedtime routine. Um, but once the child goes down in the bed at like the Like once the light time, is off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Once the sound machine is on and the light is off, um, that's it. That's the time. I think the parent can temporarily um, stay in the room or sit in the chair and things like that. Um, But I really like an approach. I use this a lot with that age where every night you sit further away Mm. and then it kind of gradually gets the child used to being on their own a little bit more. So they, they feel confident with the parent being there in the room, but you're gradually getting a little bit further away until eventually you can be out of the room and then they realize that they have the confidence that they don't need the parent to be right there in order to fall asleep and then it's just that's a really really great strategy to get those no fuss bedtimes when it comes to toddlers and older kids
1: yeah my friends actually has an older child i think she's Six, But I can yeah. just imagine, I'm like, because by the end of the day, if I lay down with my daughter, who's no nine to, for her to fall asleep, I would 100% fall asleep. In fact, what's been happening oh, yeah. is now I'm kind of conked, not conked out, but I like to get in bed and read around 8:30. and there's been times yeah. where my son is still up and I'm like, you come kiss me goodnight. Like I'm not going.
2: Into your room. If you yeah. want to say goodnight,
1: night, you stroll in here because I'm not getting back out of bed. So we've reflected yeah, a little. Me in. Exactly. <laughs> is there anything else that I haven't asked that is so super important for? I feel like you've given so much information, but is there anything I didn't ask that is important for setting up and building those healthy sleep habits?
2: Um, there was one other thing I think I wanted to mention on Please. the older children Sure, uh, was a lot of times they talk about fears and anxieties mm-hmm. and a lot of time that ends up being a stalling tactic to bring the parents back into the room because oh. they have learned that if they express that, that the parents are going to come running. So they, they will keep stringing. That out and parents they tend to I mean they absolutely want to do the right thing here they want to support the child but they unwittingly prolong this issue by saying things like um, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spray the room with monster spray to keep the monsters away or um, I I'm gonna talk to the monsters and tell them to leave you alone and. Those things are basically agreeing with the child that monsters exist, mm. and it's going to start perpetuating those fears for real. Uh. So, my advice in these situations is always to um, remain totally calm and in control, and show your child that you are in control of the situation. Um, simply reiterating that um, you know monsters do not exist; you are safe. I am your parent. I am here to keep you safe. I'm not going to allow anything bad to happen to you. You're safe in the room. See you in the morning.
1: That is great. I hadn't heard of the monster spray, but that is really great. Like just, I like what you're saying. Don't play into, I've got the monster spray. I really like that. My kids would be, we haven't had this in a while, but they used to be like, I'm thirsty or I'm hungry. I'm like, oh my God, you need to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And I will say, I used to stall when I remember having babysitters and I remember being like, I have to tuck my bed in, in a certain way. I was the (laughs) worst. It was awful. So I feel for those. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or Parents, we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. So, what would you like to leave us with?
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: So at the end of the day, I just feel like you can read all the books and print out all the schedules and things like that. And that's fine. But the child is an individual person. I mean, I have all my charts, you know, when I'm working with a client, but Ultimately the kid's not a robot and I might have to try new and different things to find out what works for that specific child. It's it's almost like sleep coaching is more of an art than a science. Mm-hmm. So there's there's really a certain level of experimentation involved. You know, I, I post on my social media like like oh, this new client, you know, sleeping through the night on night one and that's you know, that's exciting, but that's not realistic for for all of the children. So if you are in that stage right now where you're trying to figure out what's going to help your child sleep, really give each thing a solid try for about a week, Um, not just trying something for one day and saying, oh, that didn't work, because it's that consistency, like we talked about, the consistency, the security, the boundaries that the children thrive off of. And sometimes it truly does just take some repetition and discipline on the part of the parent or the caregiver to start seeing that progress when it comes to sleep mm-hmm. and and really overall the children's behavior and things like that.
1: Oh, that is great advice. And I just want to, again just listeners but it is an art, not a science because I think sometimes mm-hmm. people can get a book or a system or a, a downloadable and be like this is the schedule and then get discouraged if it doesn't work and you know, each child has their own personality, how they, how they have to sleep. And so I guess, yeah, following the child, which we do on so many other things, you know, follow the child. Yes. So, but with consistency at the same time, I really appreciate what you said about that. Where can people find your work?
2: So my website is www.thebabyisasleep.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at thebabyisasleep
1: Mm, perfect. So we'll make sure that is in our show notes. This has been so fun. I personally think sleep is one of my favorite uh, habits and one of my favorite, yes. um, it is one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> if I could take a nap, I always do. So I yes. hold sleep in such high regards. So thank you for sharing about that because I think when we're well-rested, we are better mind and just kinder to each other. So this has been so important. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This has been an episode of Yoga
1: Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Uh
2: Aha, in my dentist's office.